As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, we're offering a special discount for joining PokerXFactor.com. You can qualify for a massive $70 off your sign-up. All you need to do is enter promotional code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0. Sorry, it's been a while. Uh, the last podcast I did was September 2012 with Max Silver, which is five months ago now. But, you know, you take Christmas off in January, so it's really only three months ago. Um, a few people have been saying, you know, where's the latest podcast and stuff. And part of the reason is when I first started One Outer, I was doing lots of podcasts within, you know, one a month sort of thing. Uh, I was a losing player. Uh, but now, you know, uh, with the guests I'm waiting to bring on and also Poker X Factor, I've became a winning player. So I kind of like spending more time actually playing poker uh, than pestering all these guys for advice. So uh, I do apologize. It's been a while, but hopefully this one uh, with a guy we're about to have on uh, will make up for the wait. Also, we've had quite a lot of signups for PokerXFactor.com. So I'd be really interested if some of you could maybe email me, guys that have signed up, Either email me, tweet me, or Facebook, and just let me know how it's been going, and you know if you've had any successes and stuff that I can pass on to the Poker X Factor guys, and you know we'll maybe do a blog on you or a feature or something if if any of you had any like decent scores or or just if your games improved. Uh, also, if you could take a minute to like the OneOuter.com Facebook page, Facebook.com/OneOuter, and follow us on Twitter, OneOuter.com. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-D-O-T-C-O-M. And our guest today is someone we've had on way back. I first interviewed Alex Fitzgerald Assassinato in May 2011. So coming up for two years ago. And judging by the statistics and stuff, it's still one of the most popular podcasts. I think that's because Alex has got quite a, you know, a large following and everyone likes to rail him when he's deep in some tournaments and stuff. So... How are you today, Alex? I'm good, Barry. Thank you for having me. Uh, congratulations on all your doing better in poker and not having to focus on the podcast as much, I guess. Yeah, cheers. Uh, that's what it was. I, I looked and it was like, you know, I had Jungle Man on, Helmuth, uh, Leather Ass, yourself, Barry Greenstein. And then, um, you know, I got a lesson with Alex, uh, which we discussed on the first podcast. And I got, I actually got a couple of lessons uh, from Alex, and also PokerXFactor.com, our sponsors. I, I, you know, I get a membership with that as part of the the deal. And I just started actually just putting things into action in terms of just grinding. And I think you even said yourself, you know, there's no substitute for sort of playing. And uh, I'm 20 tabling now, Alex, as well. Wow, man. <laughs> no, that's. I mean, that's a way to get a firm basis, you know, in the in this game. And then, you know, from there you can start maybe assigning some sessions where you play less tables and try to focus a little more but now you know you can make bread and butter bets make money and you know move from that point on that's really that's really cool you're doing that's really cool to hear you're doing that well sorry a little scatterbrained today 
Yeah, we won't turn it into like a, a little uh, mini brag session for my pulse. Here. <laughs> nah, man. You gotta explain. <laughs> you gotta explain to people what you're doing because a lot of people. I know some people gave you a little a little trouble about. Oh, it's been a while since the last podcast, but you know, it's uh, you're you're doing this for free. You know what I mean? And like the the roster you're getting is pretty incredible. I mean, like Jungle Man and Phil Hellmuth, those aren't easy names to get. So the fact you ever got them at all is pretty amazing. And you know, at some point you got to make money. You got to feed yourself. You can't just you know, can't, can't always be focusing on helping other people for free. That gets pretty difficult at some point. So props to you, friend. Cheers, cheers Alex. <laughs> Last time I had you on, Full Tilt was still operating and taking deposits from rest of the world players. Uh, so that's how long ago it was. Wow. Um, and now they're actually back on. So it's, it's nothing's changed. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, good point. Um, so, so at the time, uh, you had some money locked up on... Uh, Full tilt, which you said, I think you said at the time was like six figures, um, or it was certainly a large, you know, considerable amount. Um, so let's just sort of go from the process then of what it's been like for a guy that you don't live in America, um, you're based down in Costa Rica, and you've got all this money, or you had all this money locked up. Just talk us through that process. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll give you. I don't like telling bad beat stories, but it's uh, it's pretty. This one is so bad, it's humorous. Uh, the F-Tops final table, I got all that money from. I, uh, I lost to a one-outer on the river for 70% of the chips in play. And somebody told me that cost, that was like a 2% chance that cost me $100,000. I said, well, you know, whatever. I got the 140 or whatever, right? Plus mm-hmm. what was in my accounts before that. Then uh, I had a Costa Rican full-tilt account. But I needed to go to the States. I wanted to go to the States, and they had a really big, good selection of tournaments uh, in the States that they didn't normally have in Los Angeles. The NAPT was doing an event there. The the tournament series doesn't exist anymore. LAPC Mm -hmm. was doing an event there. I've never played LAPC, but, you know, things were going really well. And I think there was one at – oh, yeah, then in San Jose, which is like a 20-minute train ride, there was Bay 101. So – I had to get about, you know, I had to get a substantial amount of money to the States in a short period of time. And I was going to do it a more roundabout way. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'll just switch my full tilt account from Costa Rica to my United States bank account. And then Mm -hmm. I'll send the money there. And then I came back home and I was going through some things uh, to change it back to a Costa Rican bank account. And then Black Friday happened and... I had an American account when that happened. So when they were redistributing the money, it, uh, you know, it now the United States government, the great people there are going to be the one deciding how much I get. And, right. you know, I'm gonna, I'm still waiting, but it, it's, uh, so truth is like, you know, the cost of a house in the country I live in and the country I'll probably be living in for decades. I, I just have locked up somewhere, but you know, I mean, of course it's dispiriting, but the good thing is, you know, I, I don't know. It kind of got me back to my roots, got me back to, you know, I, I would have never made this business assassin auto coaching if that hadn't have happened. I would have never, I stopped drinking and smoking because I just, you know, when I was waking up early in the morning to like do business things, you know, yeah, it, you can't really be cloudy and all that. So it, it kind of made me a better person in a really roundabout expensive way. So yeah, it's been difficult, but it's been good too. Yeah, for sure. 
So the situation as it started, I didn't know that that you changed uh, to you know the US. So technically, oops, at, uh. <laughs> yeah. So so right at the time, I get it because they've paid all the rest of the world players back after Stars bought them. Right. It was um, it was before all that, but yeah, it was before all that. Yeah. Yeah. So the situation is, uh, you still have essentially six figures in limbo, but things are you kind of a little bit at least a little bit more positive now than you were like when all this shit was in it. <laughs> yeah. Might yeah. Might have been drinking a little more at that time too, which doesn't make <laughs> you very uh very even keeled. I uh, Yeah, but Yeah. Yeah, because stars have bought them and you know, obviously the DOJ aren't the best people to be dealing with it, but there is some light at the end of the tunnel that you will see this eventually, you know, at least. Right. I'm not even, you know, the money, I mean, I, I've kind of ridden it off at this point and it propelled me into some better life decisions I probably wouldn't have made. So I've had to make my peace with it. The thing that's, the only thing that's been really preposterous was this, you know, the Department of Justice saying we need to get, you know, we need to get uh, the money in the hands of the players that have been wronged. Like they said something to that effect. And then once they received, what was it, three quarters of a billion dollars? Yeah. Yeah, once they received three quarters of a billion dollars, they go, I don't know if we feel comfortable about paying the players. It's like, well, you know, because it was online gambling, it's like, so it's okay, it's okay for Obama to take campaign contributions from Phil Ivey. It's okay for the Department of Justice to receive a payoff from these offshore sites, but it's not okay for me to conduct my business outside of your country. So I'm not using your roads. I don't have a child that's using your schools. And you're going to make me pay taxes on it. So again, you're going to pay yourself. But it's not okay for me to have the wealth of the money. That's the only thing that's really chapped my ass, so to speak, I mean, about all this. That, that, that's just really offensive. That's just really, you know, we don't respect your job, but it's okay for you to pay us. You know, if yeah. it, it, it's, not, it's not good for me to like, if I'm like, you know, like if I tell you, uh, I don't, I don't like drug dealing. Drug dealing is really bad. Drug dealing kills this, this community. And then I go to the drug dealer and I'm like, hey, pay me 30%. You know, yeah. give, give me 30, 35%. And then mm -hmm. he's going to have to hustle harder. He's going to have to put dr more drugs in the hands of kids in order to pay me back that 35%. So not only are you approving of it by taking money from it, but you're promoting it. You're making yeah. them work harder. So this whole notion... You know that it, it, it's just—it's it, pompous, arrogant. I—I I, I don't even have the words for it. It's still dumb. I don't think about it that much. But since we're doing this podcast, and I guess people like some of the more inflammatory statements I made the last time. I mean, I, mm -hmm. we might as well put it out there. But I, I've ridden the money off. You know, if they give it back to me, cool. If they use it to pay some taxes, great. You know, just take it. Just give me a receipt. Just make sure it was mine at some point because you obviously don't care about me so at least you know if you're gonna insult me this way at least make it official in some stance don't you know and hopefully it looks like we're gonna start finding out what's gonna happen and hopefully these things will turn out well but it's uh this is kind of a mess from beginning to end and yeah the websites are just as to blame as well like you can you really get the idea these guys had no idea what they were doing at any point, especially full tilt, but obviously poker stars seems to be very, very well run. And that's why they've now acquired their number two, the, the one that was, uh, biting their heels. <laughs> yeah. Well, what I find is, it's just, it's, I think I said something similar the last time as well. 
just the US government stance on things like that, it just seems so hypocritical. Yeah, right. And just like, just they want the best of both worlds. Like you say, it's, mm-hmm. that's that's a no-no, but we'll, we'll take the money sort of thing. It's just, it's strange. Uh, it's strange. I think it's just different for like the UK where gambling's pretty much a pastime here almost. And I know it is in the US as well, but it's been legal here for years. And, you know, it's tax-free gambling in the UK. Right, yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, to me, that that's science fiction that's yeah (laughs) that's you know what i mean like i i can't even wrap my mind around that you know there's many good things about growing up in the united states i like you know i like a lot of the people in different parts of the country i like a lot of the food i like a lot of the culture the television shows i think the whole world likes watching tv from our country and it growing up playing cards and speaking english was obviously like hitting the lottery given what money you can make now in poker but yeah it's it's especially dispiriting to you know just be dealing with this when all you're trying to do is make make money honestly like i i think it's a very honest living what i do and you know just try to take care of my family back home try to take care of people i care about that's all i want to do which i would think was very american that was kind of the american dream going to a business that was new you know don't let anybody hold you back work work really hard it's a meritocracy horatio alger should be very proud of us poker players but uh, apparently we don't see things in that light anymore yeah well even just like myself you know a scottish guy when i was younger all the american films and stuff it just makes everything about america was amazing when i was a kid <laughs> right. i, like, oh, I, I want to live in america it's like <laughs> and, but when i went to new york i was like 16 it was like holy shit there's the, like the library that was on ghostbuster you know our things <laughs> from films things from films and it was just like america was like and even in britain when people talked about like something being worth crazy amounts it was always a million dollars you know you would never <laughs> yeah, say a million pounds or anything that's changed now <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely that has changed like yeah so it just is it is a culture thing and i just think there's different noises coming from America regards like legalization and stuff. And just when you think it's a way to happen, it's like the, the rugs pulled from under it because there's such a backbone, you know, against it. And I just think it has so much momentum from a lot of people like religious groups and, you know, anti-gambling groups and stuff like that. I just think it's, it just seems to be a different ball game now, you know, with even moving down that line of towards anything like, the closest I could see is like big casinos in Vegas, maybe getting some sort of online action legal in certain states. But in terms of like legal throughout the UK, uh, the US rather, do you think that would ever happen? Or I I I don't know, and I don't care, and I don't mean to yeah. I don't mean to like crap on your point. It's just the United States is in such a weird state right now. A lot of Americans are very very nice people. There, I really like a lot of Americans, and a lot we have, you know, it, we have a lot of bright people too. And, but there's some weird thing about America in that we seem to have like all stars, guys like Bill Gates, someone like that, and then the general population has, we, I mean, the big discussion in this recent election is how entitled is everybody, how. Yeah. You know what I mean? In which I I don't agree with either candidate. I hate both of them. But they – the problem with America is it's just like the British Empire before. Like you can't maintain military outposts and an influence all around the world and be able to pay for it. 
from just one populace, no matter how large that populace is. The Roman Empire couldn't do it. The mm -hmm. British Empire couldn't do it. McDonald's, even from a business standpoint, McDonald's was doing crazy expansion. It failed in a lot of a lot of cases. I mean, they still do very well, but like they were doing a very there was a period, I can't remember if it was in the 1990s, early 2000s, they were doing really rapid expansion. It just like bit them in the ass because it was just so hard to maintain. And now they have to take advantage of this populace because they have to maintain. There's a reason the whole world speaks English is that we did have such an influence around the world for so long. But now it's, uh, you know, you have to maintain 20 military bases around Iran. You need to. We, we need to maintain military bases in Korea. We have to have one in the Philippines. We need to have our hands in everything. And then that all costs money, which is, which would be fine, except for now, you know, at some point they don't ever want the American people to go, you know, why don't we call back in this defense budget where if we took 5% of this defense budget, we could send every child to a four-year college. You know, why don't we bring in this defense budget a little and then Maybe while we're paying the socialized taxes, because we pay close to socialized taxes, I don't get the, this whole railing against socialism thing is preposterous. If I would be all for everybody plays, pays a flat 10% tax and we all figure out our own stuff, that would be mm -hmm. fine. I would be fine. But when I'm paying 40, 50% tax, you damn well better provide me an education and healthcare. Because every other country where you pay 40, 50% tax is known as a socialized state. And in socialized states, you expect socialized services. And the United States is so focused on labeling those people as problems. And I, I don't like either side. But they need, mm -hmm. they need to serve their people and they need to make money within their country and they need to get money out of it. So I'm sure at some point they're going to be able to tax it and make a lot of money at it, but you have a lot of people very steeped in some blasé, premature, premature uh, belief. And I just, I don't know. It's just, it's really weird to me. I don't think they know how to get around it. They're like, okay, we're we're going to have to set up a new regulation board. They don't know how to get through the evangelical Christians. They don't know how to mm -hmm. get through the very conser the conservatives who don't even think about. You know, like it, it, the conservatives who, you know, they've just taken the stance, no gambling. And the system is so broken. Like if you try to make a pool in many parts of the country, it's so it's impossible to like build a pool in your own house in a lot of parts of the United States, because you have to have somebody check the soil. You have to make, have somebody check the materials. You have to go have an inspector. Yeah. You need to go pull six permits. This is not a free state. This is a socialized yeah. state. They're controlling everything. And now you tell those people, here's a new industry to regulate. And by the way, it's on shaky moral ground. They just go, I don't want to touch it. I, I don't yeah. want to touch it. I don't want to deal with it. Whereas when you have a smaller country, like if Portugal wants to change their stance on online gambling, they don't have as many things to deal with. They don't have this defense budget to maintain. They don't have you know, this huge war war on drugs to maintain so maybe they have a little more time to spend on it so i don't know i don't care the united states can get their act together whenever they want i'll give them what they need I'll, but i i i don't have plans to live in the united states from here on out it's not that it's not a good country i just think there's more opportunities elsewhere my money goes further elsewhere yeah and that was a party political broadcast from OneOuter.com and uh, Alex <laughs> Fitzgerald. <laughs> so uh, let's get the politics um, out of the way and let's talk about 
So your situation, the hundred k, you've wrote that off in your mind till when you get it back. Now you're sitting uh, at that stage. Uh, take us through how you sort of started back on, as you as you always put it uh, on your blog. Check out Alex's site as well, PokerHeadrush.com, uh, where he blogs quite regularly. And you talk about your bread and butter bets and getting back to basics and stuff. So how how did you go about that? You've got a hundred k locked up in full tilt. Your bankroll, you know, at the time wasn't what it was. I think you were in the midst of one of your largest dim swings. Uh, so just just take us through that period. How you decided to like sort of turn the ship around? I uh, oh, that's a that's a very broad question. Give me a second. Uh, I mean, there's a when you gamble for a living. I don't. I know some guys who I uh, I know guys who are sports betters and in a lot of other fields. And most of their bets, 90, 95% of their bets are very small, very low risk, low return. And that makes the basis of their investment strategy. And that makes the, that's returning you money regularly and generally calming you down. And that allows you to be more tactical with the, the time and money you place elsewhere. And the more, the bets that you're swinging for the fences. So I try to, diversify my business interests some some failed some didn't uh the ones that did well i it's just like when you're winning at a poker game and you have people on the fences you just keep playing till 6 a.m or till the owner of the game kicks you out and mm-hmm. uh yeah this uh assassino coaching has been going really well i think people have really been appreciating i the price is affordable for pretty much anyone at any stake I have real lesson plans. I have real homework, follow-up work for you. And now there's, you know, we can just hit on so many subjects and there's so many things we talk about on those classes that you don't see discussed normally in MTT videos. And when I'm doing a hand history review on Pocket Fives training, it might take, you know, it might take several hours to get into many of the concepts because, you know, to do a concept video would take a lot more time. and doing a hand history review you hit on some of them so focusing on the coaching side of things consulting for different companies and consulting for a lot of these large backing houses that are you know we're seeing the mtt world shrink as far as donators and there being a real proliferation of pretty good regs so you need to find a way to get a leg up on that and i'm trying to offer that to a lot of these uh bigger backing houses so uh yeah, you know, working on that and uh, playing more cash games, playing cash games on smaller sites. Uh, there's a lot of money in that, trying to, you know, finesse a deal from somebody. You know, hey, give me this much rag back, I'll play there. And, you know, I mean, it's the small things you pick up on and, like, take and trying to focus on that, like, four to six hours a day, trying to focus on really small returns, small bet stuff, like the smaller, the cash games. I, I don't really play higher than like one, two. you can play like one, two and make a really good living. And especially mm-hmm. on some of these sites with, uh, you know, there's like no regs. You can, uh, you can make a pretty good living. Uh, I started playing zoom poker because I want, I want to learn about the American sites. And to be honest, it's a uh, God, it's fun, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> like, it's really fun, you know? And then, you know, and then only one or two days a week playing like the big tournaments and stuff, making sure you have the money to do it, not playing everything and anything. Cause like, I played everything and anything in 2012 and it kind of, you know, there was like the deep run in PCA that was really fun. And there was a lot of scores in between, but 
that that W coup saved my ass, and it really shouldn't come down to winning a 1K in order to save your year. You should be <laughs> you should be making money every month if you can. Yeah. So t- talk us through that. I mean, uh, regards the the W coup win. Um, I remember sort of railing you from. I think someone messaged me and said, "Oh, Sassinat was on final table of the the W Cup," and I went, and there was actually a guy from Scotland who I know personally uh, that plays online, and he was at the final table as well. Uh, Holly Seventeen. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, he played well. That was his name, and I think he finished. I think he finished fifth, maybe, and. So it was two people, you know, I knew on the final table. So I watched it, you know, with interest. And you eventually, I think you, you did a deal heads up, didn't you? With yeah, the we guy. did a, I had like a 10 to 1 ship lead. And I was like, I didn't even turn my chat on. And then, yeah. I mean, that guy could play. I, I think his name was Arnon Shraga, the Israeli. Like that, uh-huh. that guy could play. He didn't care. And he, yeah. yeah, he beat me out of some big pots. And we were closer to even. I was like, all right, you know, give me 5K and we'll call it a day. And yeah, yeah we chopped it out. Uh-huh. So you chopped that for a hundred and something thousand, wasn't it? Hundred and twenty-eight thousand, yep. Hundred and twenty-eight thousand, and as you said, you know that essentially saved your year. Now, what what I think, it, it, I mean, it didn't shock me or anything, but like I, I was looking forward to your blog about it and stuff, and a couple of friends, you know, who have uh, became aware of you through my podcast and stuff like that. Uh, I read it and. It was just absolutely, you know, sort of not not mind boggling because I've heard stories before like that. But you were in, you know, a considerable amount of makeup. You'd been through one of your your longest downswings or one of your worst downswings, whatever. And that essentially, I think I think you said in your blog at the time, you it got you out of it, or just maybe you even had like a couple of thousand left to get out of it. Just talk us through like what it takes to play with with that. I mean, you're you're in a high stakes MTTR. You've been at final tables of EPTs and, as you said, deep runs, PCA and that. But what does it take to just log on and play with that amount of makeup, you know, consistently through it? Talk to us about that. Well, uh, to be honest with you, I deserve to be in that much makeup. I was playing pretty bad. I uh, I wasn't doing a peer review as much as I should have. It was really contradictory. I was doing all these lessons in the morning to pay my bills and you know, not really taking a hard look at myself. And for the most part, I was playing pretty good. And I, I, uh, you know, and I, I ran pretty bad at some, I, I made some really major final tables. I final table, the party poker major and the I poker yeah. major and had something like eight, 530 final tables with two wins. And it just, you know, you play like every big tournament all day, every day, you need to produce a lot more consistently than just a hundred are here, you got you got to get some major final tables and mm-hmm. i just wasn't playing a game that was going to take advantage of a lot of regulars i was going to be dealing with a lot of variants and then i had this weird 6 month phase i don't know if it was being pissed off about blowing the chip lead at pca with a few tables left or what but i just every time it was a clutch decision i was just making the wrong bet i was like making the wrong read i got you know, I just got my ass bluffed off in a few spots. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, I, I just wasn't playing that good. And then once I took it back, but the good thing was I got to test out my theory. I was like, okay, now now I help a lot of people who are in that same spot, like 120, 140K and makeup, what have you. And there's a lot of guys like that now. You know, yeah. that I've been making money for five years. I, I don't know what happened. And 
you know, I tested, I, I had a friend of mine and he said to me, you know, Hey, you know, you're playing like all day, every day, you're working all day, every day. And you're playing, you're playing 16 tables all day, every day. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I've done since I was a kid. And I've always made really good money doing that. He's like, yeah, but you know, everybody's a regular now. You need to focus more. You know what I mean? You have to, you have to really focus on the small things they're doing wrong and take advantage of it. Why don't you play less tables for a day? And why don't you, when you get deep in a tournament and he was, he was watching these guys like day two in a W coop and their stack is worth like $7,000 and they're like booting mm -hmm. up one Oh nines. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's uh he was just like, you know, I don't understand why they do this. Just focus, you know, when you're getting mm -hmm. deep in something. And then like I took second in the big 109. I took, I won two, I won another stars 109. I won the big party poker 109 on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. I had the eight or so like 530 final tables on the American sites with like two wins. It had the, had the big final tables and then the W coop shop. And I had like 160 K downswing playing the way I'd played every year. And then it was just done in a few weeks. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's really hard to like get up at the computer and go, oh, I only got to, you know, only got to make 140,000 today, but you gotta, <laughs> you, you gotta, you have to love the game. You have to love getting better. Just, and the money has to be something secondary. They asked Phil Ivey, this is, uh, I read this in an interview. I, he, they said he lost money the first two years he played poker. And mm -hmm. The third year, he barely broke even. And then they were asking him in another interview, you know, like, how did you get good at poker? And they didn't say this, but it was like, how did you get over that three-year period? You were a losing player and become yeah. Phil Ivey. He said, well, when I started, I was playing just for the money. But, you know, and he said it as if it was nothing. But he was like, at the beginning, I was playing just for the money. But really, I, you know, once I started playing for the love of the game, that's when I started doing really well. And if you go mm -hmm. in and, you know, I have respect for the other people. You realize there are other people with their own problems, their own, you know, their own things they're insecure about, and there's no reason to hate them. We're all just mm -hmm. playing a game. We're having fun. And you look at them as the game is me versus myself. How well can I master myself? And getting in deep makeup is just another challenge. A lot of people have never gotten out of it. I can get back mm -hmm. in from a lot of different people. If I, if I wanted to be on the tour tomorrow, I could be on the tour tomorrow because a lot of people know I've been in deep makeup and gotten out of it. It's a, it's a rite of passage. It's part of being yeah. a really good empty tier. And admitting your mistakes is a really big part of it as well. I wasn't admitting my mistakes myself and I wasn't playing my hardest. I wasn't analyzing myself and I got into that funk and you know, I, I ended up pulling out a pretty good year because I started with the PCA uh, score of like 70,000. And then I, you know, I had like two weeks online. I just couldn't, when I came home, I was pissed off in a good way. And I just like final tabled everything for a few weeks. So I got more money out of that. Yeah. And then I pretty much broke even the rest of the year. So it was a pretty mediocre year by my standards, but it was pretty good in general compared to, you know, maybe how I did when I was younger. So, mm -hmm. it, you know, it turned out okay, but it could have been a banner year. If I was yeah. taking more time off, f watching more of my hand histories, talking to my friends who are really good at, game, at this game and getting into it. And instead I was kind of, I'm going to put the hours in. It's going to come back to me. It, it doesn't mm -hmm. work that way in poker. Yeah. So it, it almost sounds like, you know, it, it's finding that balance between, you know, your co coaching business, assassinato coaching, and also still developing as a player and playing, you know, yourself and still 
keeping up with the rest of the regs and, and what the sort of current state of play in tournament poker is. Right, yeah, definitely. And assassinatocoaching at gmail.com. Sorry, I forgot to say that. But yeah, yeah. they uh, got to put in the, the, the shameless plug. But yeah, it's about yeah. you have to really cultivate a love for finding things other people are not fi- finding to mm-hmm. outplay someone in a game that's, you know, it's two people in your mind. That's it. Like it's two people in your mind. And if you can like show them a ghost and scare them away or convince them everything is all right and get them to hand every chip to you, that should be a very powerful feeling to you. And you should seek mm-hmm. that kind of mastery. You you should not think about the money. The money is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm very mm-hmm. happy for the life I live. But I've made the most money when I just – I don't even go think about it. The, the last time I was – the first time I got into deep makeup, I got into like 110K makeup when I was in Europe. My, I was like tw- 19 or 20 and honestly had no business being on the tour. But I, mm-hmm. I talked a good game and I got myself a backing deal. And I just blanked every EPT and got into like 110K makeup, which by the way is not that much when you're playing 10Ks. And back yeah. back then, the euro was worth like 1.71 to the dollar. So it was uh, it really wasn't even that many buy-ins when you're buying in with euros. But I was like, I was just destroyed. And like a person in 110K makeup back in 2008 was like a fictional character. They thought you had to be like <laughs> the worst player who ever played the game. And I didn't hide anything. I told people and, you know, all my friends, I was in Malta and I was with a bunch of like German uh, players hanging out with them a lot. And they were just like, you're like yeah, 110,000, like, oh my God. And, you know, I was really getting down on myself. And I, I said, you know what, just go in and play the way you want to play. Don't listen to anybody. You know, and people were attacking my game because 110K makeup, you must be terrible. You know, and it's like, you, you race full too much from this stack. You do this too much. You threw that. And I, I went in one day, I put my laptop on my uh, table outside on my balcony. I was like, I'm just going to enjoy this sun. I'm going to play because I love this game. And I never thought I'd get to see Europe. I was that broke when I was young. And that night I final tabled the Sunday 100R and the Sunday Million on at the same time. So, mm-hmm. you know, you go in to love it. You go in to have fun, to learn. Go in with the attitude, I'm going to learn and have fun. You can have fun and learn every single time you play poker. If you're only going to be happy every time you win – you're going to be completely miserable a lot of the time. And if you play tournaments, you're going to be miserable nine days out of ten. Yeah. Well, well, I looked at that um, even for like some of the top uh, MT tiers and some of the top 180 players, uh, you know, like on Sharkscope. And there's a little feature you can see like a pie chart, okay, of winning and losing days. And even for the top, top players, like the winning days are, are like 60% uh, less you know, so you're basically mm-hmm. you're losing maybe seventy percent or sixty percent time, but you're winning thirty percent, and they're still like some of the best players. You know, because right, and that's an incredible number of winning days. I'm more like first place or nothing, so mine is like fifteen twenty percent of my days are winning. Yeah, so it's just when you see it graphically like that, you know, just as you say, if you're expecting to win every day, you're you're never going to be happy with poker. No. Nope. If you're basing it on you know whether you you won today or you know or lost tomorrow sort of thing. Mm. So you mentioned you mentioned that it was a rite of passage that type of makeup and stuff. But um, I had Chris Moorman on the podcast and he was talking about like his advice to anybody getting into poker tournament poker is to start small, 
and play off your own money and build up through the stakes and you know your own bankroll have 100 percent of yourself as much as possible and you said like after your w coup win i think in a blog you spoke about you know play, maybe dropping down in stakes and playing smaller off your own money again and sort of like not being staked for you know the majority of games and that well now the dust sort of settled in that what do you what's what do you advise people and what do you sort of say where do you see yourself going perhaps this year i i i would agree with chris mormon and uh, that's a very good person to listen to when it comes to this kind of thing but yeah a lot of times you know if uh I would say nine out of 10 people who are backed in like medium to higher stakes are not ready for it. And the reason why business is booming for me is like, they're not ready. They get into makeup and the backer in them. Like a lot of my, a lot of the guys I work with, I don't want to make the backers and the backies sound desperate, but there are some cases where it's like, somebody's got to turn this guy around. And a lot of people are just not emotionally ready for it. So you should, I, I think, I, when I was 18 years old, I had, I, I moved to Seattle and I didn't, I, I, I didn't quit to become a professional poker player until I had like six months of expenses and like 200 buy-ins for my role. And it wasn't because I was like super professional. It was, it, it, it was because I knew I had a lot to learn. I knew I wasn't that good. And going from that amount, you know, a lot of people, I, I, I was still playing like five to $10, $12 sit and goes when I went pro and everybody, a lot of people criticized me for it. Like, yeah, you play that. And then, you know, I moved up to thirties. Ooh. Right. Yeah. But I made more money from 18 to 19 playing like that. It got to the point I had to rent a condo in Seoul because the games were so good there. And I rented one in Seattle. I, I was going between the two so much, you know, playing online. I couldn't play the online tournament schedule in Seoul. It would just kill me. It was like mm-hmm. Sunday Million started at 6 in the morning, but the live games there were great. And in Seattle, you know, just playing tournaments was going so well. And it was because I felt so relaxed because I moved up through the stakes. I took my lumps. I learned. I always kept 200, 300 tournament buy-ins in my role. If I play cash games, at least 100 buy-ins. And then when you, yeah. you know, nothing really dents you. You're losing 0.5 to 1% of your bankroll, no matter how horrifically you lo- lose. And that mm-hmm. was a way better way to learn. Then I started, you know, I've made this much money. I'm this young. I should get on the tour. And I convinced a few people that was a good idea. And then that was just hell on earth. A lot of it, because you're just going up and down. You're not ready for this. And, you know, there is a certain thing like you need like a million dollars to play 10Ks. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So if you want to play 10Ks, you're going to need to get a backer. But if you, you should just stay at $50 tournaments and under, play on Euro sites and stuff it's not that big of a deal to miss the 215 turbos on stars. It's, yeah. it's not going to kill you. And by the way, there shouldn't be that many pl- people playing 10Ks for a living because you think about it, okay, you spend like on average 1K to get there. You mm-hmm. spend 1K for the hotel. and You got to feed yourself while you're there. And if you go there deep, you're going to probably spend like $500. And then there was an entry fee. It turns out most of these tournaments are like 10Ks plus 3Ks. If you mm-hmm. if you saw a 10k plus 3k online, you'd laugh your ass off. You'd never sign up. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but for some reason, when it's a live tour and you know Mike Sexton can be screaming, he's done it, he's done it, he's made the bluff. He doesn't even have the ace. You can be <laughs> holding the beer in front of all the money and with the girls. Somehow it's different. It's not. That's not professional. That's a big shot. You know. And if yeah. you're Chris Mormon, you can do it because you're one of the best on earth and you have. I assume he has the money to do it. 
and he has yeah. the skill edge to get over a 30% reg. But if you're normal kid who's doing all right online, like you, you should do one or two at a time. Do PCA's overpriced, but the Bahamas are beautiful. Go and go a few days earlier, enjoy the Bahamas. Do the WSOP main because you got to do that. Only do like mm-hmm. one or two a year. Save a little each month. Go to them. Have go there to have a vacation and play poker. There's more equity mm-hmm. in that. You don't. But yeah, for the most part, don't stay back. I mean, don't get backed. It, it, mm-hmm. There, I actually wrote. You can Google this. It's a. Uh, I forget. I think they called it "Watch Your Back: The Truth About Backers." The fine people at Bluff, which I didn't name it, but uh, mm-hmm. I think you can type in Alex Fitzgerald backing Bluff Magazine. There was a lot of. It, it, I did like for three months. I just devoted it explicitly to backing. Yeah. And it's about you know if you're a backer, what you should be looking for in your horses. If you want to get backed, is this really a good decision for you? And stuff mm-hmm. like that. And most of the time, if it's not paired with like coaching with a guy you'd really like to learn from, it's not really worth giving up 50% of your it, giving 50% of your earnings up to and skipping really important rungs in the ladder. And yeah, yeah. And uh, I've. I've stayed on my own since the W Coop score. I'm beyond happy. I still got to do PCA, a bunch of side events, see, see the Bahamas. I still, I still play a lot of Sundays. It's, it's fine. I just, you know, I don't play like every buy-in all day, every day. That's, yeah. that's the only difference. And I don't get to just fly to every 10K I want to because that would, you know, hemorrhaging 20, 30K a month turns into a lot. But I'm, I'm much happier with this. And I just, and it's just amazing. You just get to keep all this money because you're not traveling every month so i just take take that money throw it you know save it put it put in an account i can't touch and yeah hopefully building up to something much greater now than you know just being on the tour hoping for my score yeah i mean i think without you know with the risk of talking in a cliche sort of thing you know know, like rounders you know everybody's you know the favorite poker film probably the only decent poker film uh, ever made uh, it seems like that is the truest thing. You know, you've got, uh, is it Kanish? He's like the leather-ass grinder. He just sits grinding out like the 10-20 game or whatever. And then you've got like the Matt Damon, you know, who wants to go and play the World Series and stuff. And it just seems that part something about poker players, they seek that recognition of the, like you say, the novelty check and their name, and their, with their winning hand in their hand, and like all the chips, and they've mm-hmm. won a tournament or something. Um, whereas you say, if you sat and just grind out, you know, uh, mid to even multi-table and low stakes, MTTs online, you can make yourself a relatively, you know, if you're, if you're mixing the stakes and stuff, the variance can be reduced and tackled a bit, or at least managed. With a with a two three hundred buy in roll right. and just like grind out like a nice a nice living for yourself exactly sort of and I I think you know I knew a lot of guys who were nitty with their money who we teased me and my friends because mm-hmm. oh you know we're such ballers and we have all this money blah 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 and yeah you know I know a lot of the guys who had really big scores on the tour and they started you know backing everybody and their brother they started you know like uh you know when we go to PCA we're gonna have to get the huge suite and stuff like that and it's you know then after a few years uh you know you don't hit another score and it's kind of you even though you might still have a lot of talent you could still get a deal you might still have some money it kind of feels like the ride's over and it kind of feels like you were cheated because it's like is this it sitting around sitting around in casinos traveling around and because they see mostly casinos a lot of times those guys don't even travel see anything and yeah 
you think you know and then the guys who are really nitty with their money are buying their second home taking their wives to the opera studying new subjects at school which they can pay for a lot of money in savings and you know a lot of these guys played you know they they just played no limit with a lot of rig a lot of low stakes no limit games with a lot of rig back sought out like really soft sites you know and if they did play a live tournament it was only a couple every year stayed learning every morning you know spent an hour just reading hands on two plus two or working with a coach or someone and a lot of these guys you don't even know a lot of my students you know after we get to know each other and i always thought they were kind of like a small time grinder and they're mm -hmm. they're saying you know i'm gonna buy this house in cash like excuse me like <laughs> what country do you live in like i think like maybe i heard them wrong maybe they bought something in thailand but yeah i mean they have the money to do it and they invest well and they're much they feel much better because it's always it's been this steady incline. Yeah, it's been slow, but it's yeah. been steady. But if you you get on that roller coaster, you might come out like Elkie, you know, you might come out like Mormon, but more often than not, you're not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, as you say, I mean, the first time uh, last year, 2012, is the first time I went to the World Series uh, in Vegas. It was my second time in Vegas and first time in World Series, and you know, I bumped into. Uh, your guy Jack Welsh, the uh, that blogs on Poker Headrush in the bar, uh, and I I bought him a drink and stuff, and we had a little chat, and it, it kind of struck me. And Quad Jacks, I did some uh, things with those guys. They had me on for like a few interviews and stuff. And do you know what? It's like I know you see the ESPN glitz and glamour and stuff like that, but I actually wrote a blog, and it's on OneOuter.com. Um, about my experience at the World Series. And it was kind of uh, sad, for want of a better word. <laughs> you know, such an easy word, sad. But just to see some of these people walking around in the hallways and the stories. And, you know, for every tournament winner, it's that old thing. There's like thousands of other guys playing well over their bankroll, um, giving themselves mental torture, you know, throughout. And the place just wasn't nice. It was almost like soulless, these like tournament places. And it wasn't what I was expecting at all. It was kind of a really big disappointment, actually. And I don't know how much of that is just because I'm not a baller and wasn't jumping into 10Ks and this event and that event. But I think there was more to it than that. I just saw like the expressions on the people and stuff. And it, it just wasn't nice. If you know, I'm, I'm not doing well to describe it, but no, that's no, no, you're doing, you're doing a very good job. Yeah, th that's the way I felt. It just it wasn't, it wasn't great, you no, know. No, I mean, uh, I think this is part of the reason, like, why a lot of Americans are angry. When you tell a lot of people they're going to be superstars, uh, excuse me, one second. Yeah. Ciao, gracias por venir. Sorry, I said, said I was doing an interview, but uh, <laughs> uh, my uh, anyway, friend of the family came in for a second, but uh. I, I think this is why a lot of Americans are angry. It's a, it's that fight club, uh, I, it's that fight club thing. You know, they told us we were going to be rock stars and we were going to be all <laughs> these people. Nike told us, you know, just do it. You're the king. It's your world. And then you grow up and you realize a lot of people just got to put in their hours. There's not, yeah. you know, you don't get to be a superstar. And a lot of us who grew up in poker, it's even more exacerbated. And, uh, it, it, you know, we, we saw these guys winning millions of dollars and we were like 16, 17 playing home games. Poker was so fun and we thought it was always going to be this way. And then, you know, you get like 22 
23 or like if you even started you know later in life you know you're getting up there in years and you got to tell people you're like 30 something you're not doing that well well and you play cards yeah. for a living it doesn't sound that flattering so you go in a little more desperate to every tournament so you got this country that already you know in other countries like if you play in Scandinavia they don't care as much about the money because the dollar isn't worth anything dollars are worth a lot to us now and the economy's yeah. crushing us and you have all these people pinning their hopes it's the same reason it's so sad when they sell the lottery to like the lower class because it's you know hey what a great message hey don't work don't put in your hours just hope someone's going to save your ass and it's yeah. this the worst thing with poker is someone's not going to save your ass you should save your ass and if you don't do it you're going to think it's somehow your fault you're somehow not good enough when really a lot of like 90 I, I i lose so many days like i play professionally do really well have been doing well for six years i lose most days i play and mm -hmm. suffered a lot of losses you can't let that make you but i mean that's not how your brain is wired your brain like they've proven people need to make like two times their investment in order for them to take a risk because the pain of losing is so definitive with a human being like the brain releases so much more chemicals to tell you this is a bad thing and mm -hmm. the thrill of winning like goes away eventually with poker players because especially in tournaments it's like oh, i won a big pot at the beginning wonder i'm gonna how i'm gonna go out of this one because <laughs> I, I haven't won the last 70 tournaments i played when really 70 tournaments is nothing yeah it just seems to be like like you say people are saying right as soon as i get x amount of money i know i'm going to be sorted mate you know whatever and it's never the case it's all people always get to that and it's like oh right now what sort of thing or or it's not what i thought it would be right you know? right no and it's like when you watch the olympics and they got the like 17 year old really frail gymnast girl shaking going you know i didn't have a childhood i never got to see other kids because i was always practicing on this balance beam but i know it's going to be worth it now it's like, no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're never going to get your childhood back. It's over. I'm sorry. And you're probably not going to be Michael Phelps. No one's going to be handing you a Wheaties deal. No one's going to know your name probably. <laughs> and it's kind of, the, kind of the same thing in poker. A lot of those guys that have made $1 million, $2 million don't have a lot of it to show, especially with the government taxing system that we have on something mm -hmm. they don't approve of. But, you know, and a lot of these people don't have the money and they think, you know, and a lot of – it's like when you – it's like when you have a friend who's like overweight and he's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to meet the girl of my dreams and I'm going to get my dream job after I lose 30 pounds. It's like, buddy, you got to do it now. It can't happen yeah. after 30 pounds or after or with older people. It's like it can't be after the kids in school. You're going to start writing your book. You're probably going to be too tired then and find another excuse. It has to yeah. happen now. And a lot of people do the I'm going to win money. I've been told so many people I'm going to quit poker. I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to do something else. And they never think about what that move is going to be. And then it comes time to do it and they don't really know what to do with themselves and they feel kind of empty and they just keep playing. And a lot of them, unfortunately, don't hold on to their money. And a lot of people don't even get to ever make that decision because they're just grinding and grunting through a job they don't even enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Well, this turned so, out to be a really happy podcast. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's talk about the current state of the games then and how coaching at gmail.com uh, can sort of help players you know like how are you finding the the tournaments now like certainly maybe take stars you know or 
you know, the sort of mid-stakes to perhaps the lower-stakes buy-ins. What, what do you think the sort of state of play there? You hear people after people saying, oh, poker's so much tougher now. There's no doubt that the average player has, you know, increased definitely in, like, the last four or five years, but is there still money there? Is there still ways for guys to go start with nothing and, and climb the ladder? Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I know guys in the last, like, year or two, a lot of my students just, you know, started very low on the totem pole and, I had a kid a year ago who's playing like $20, $50 tournaments. He now plays all the 10Ks in Europe and like has a stable of like 20 guys because he just, wow. he just studied every day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he worked two hours a day. Like, how am I going to trick this guy? If you do the same thing everybody else does, you're not likely to do that well. That, that goes in any form of business. If you're the 23rd band to try to do this kind of metal and your singer isn't that good as the guy who's reigning right now and people are getting kind of tired of your sound, you're going to fail in that business too. And what we work on assassin auto coaching is not the most common MTT strategy. And many of the things you hear in MTT strategy videos are blatant lies. If you try to do the math, if you do the math, you find out a lot of things, a lot of, I'm not going to say which ones, but things people I've heard repeated 600 times in different videos do not hold water when you try to mathematically prove it. And when you try to apply it, and I get – here's the great thing about my job. If I'm wrong and 30 guys start tanking, I lose my job. But I get to see if a concept of mine works. And if 30 guys come back to me and go, I just keep picking up pots, it probably works. Okay? Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't – if experientially, did I say that right? I never say that word right because I've never said that word. I never said that word before I was 23 years old. And it's just one of those, you know, like those specific words you can't type correctly. You always misspell. That's mine. But if experience wise, you, it works. And mathematically there's a sound, there's a sound basis for the complete opposite of what these grinders have told you the whole time then it's probably the other way. And a lot of people are not doing that work. Most MTT strategy came from like this 2006, 2007, uh, you know, American grinders. And there's so much dead money, right? And we just, we had to figure out how to play as many tables as possible because this gold mine is going to dry up one day. So we came up with these rules. Don't do this with that stack. Don't do this with this hand. And they made us a lot of money playing across the many tables. Now, you completely wipe away all those players and you add a bunch of guys from Latvia waking up, eating Captain Crunch, watching four hours of training videos and then playing 16 hours. And that's every, <laughs> that's every grinder on your table. The, doing what was normal, passable in 2008 is going to kill you right now. Now, in order yeah. to do well in the games, you need to do really outside the box stuff. And it's working again and again. I love my job. I love beating MTTs. I like ha- having percentages of tens of players as opposed to playing myself every day. And it's really fun. And I think if you buy a lesson with me and now here comes the big pitch, but I really do enjoy my job and you will hear things that you will not hear in MTT training videos. They're probably going to be out like in a year or two. I, in my, I know this sounds very arrogant, but I'm pretty damn sure of everything I've latched onto. They're probably, people are probably going to start doing a lot of these things in a year or two. I think for one of the first times in my career, I'm really ahead of the game because if I sit here talking about poker for five hours a day and I don't figure it out after six months, I should, I should probably quit. I should probably not be your coach. But since I got to see the same situations 800 times and I have to 
explain to my students like how their bet is working and how it should work and what could be a better bet. Eventually you find solutions that are far beyond what most MTTers are doing. And it's really fun. And it'd be really cool if you're listening to this podcast, you would like to speak to me. It's assassinautocoaching at gmail.com. If you want to read articles I wrote, go to Poker Head Rush, look under strategy. There's some there. You can Google Bluff Magazine, Alexander Fitzgerald, and there's some strategy articles. And if you like what you're reading, come to me and we'll talk. We'll go even further than those articles. Yeah, and I also, as I said at the start of the podcast, um, I personally have had a couple of lessons with Alex and I can definitely vouch uh, for him for his, also like a few times we went over the hour because we were like in the middle of a concept and you extended it like 10, 15 minutes to like make sure that, you know, you got it across to me. And you also sent me uh, like follow-up materials, uh, which were certain articles and a couple of PowerPoint presentations that I still refer to and watch. You know, I, I put them on the big screen and uh, it's not Captain Crunch. We don't get that here, but I'll sit and watch, I'll, I'll, I'll sit and eat some sort of cereal, you know, and watch that and then... Uh, Maybe play like seven hours, not 16 hours. <laughs> good, for, good for you. Healthier living. Th- yeah. Thank you for that endorsement. The check's in the mail. I appreciate yeah, it. Cheers. cheers. <laughs> yeah, just, just ship me a uh, star. You, you know my username. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's uh, what I'll do as well, once the podcast's up, obviously, if you're listening to it through iTunes, if you go to oneouter.com, I post it on there as well and a little spiel, you know, about the podcast. And I'll put Alex's contact details, which are already on the site in the previous podcast and you can email him and set up a lesson and stuff. And uh, he also has a really new professional way of setting up the lessons that we arrange this podcast through that I can also vouch for. Uh, you get like lots of reminders coming back, telling you when it is and stuff, which really works out. Um, so let's just say then 2013, Alex, what's your hopes, plans and dreams? Uh, you know, keep, uh, I'm having a really good time right now, trying to work out more, uh, trying to, you know, it just just try to get value out of every day because, you know, you only get so many hours of the day and, you know, try to do something, try to play with my dog because I love him, uh, try to work out, try to, you know, put time in the business and get money out of it because money, uh, for better or for worse, is what, you know, liberates you in this world. Uh, spend time with my family, spend time with my fiance, get married, which will be pretty nice. And, uh, you know, enjoy try to read a lot of good books, try to learn more, try, uh, try to deepen my relationship with Jesus Christ and enjoy life. You know, that's, that's my, that's really what I want to do. Yeah. And that was Jesus Christ, the son of God, not Chris Ferguson. No, 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 no. <laughs> just for anybody. Not that Jesus. Uh, kind, of hard, kind of hard to believe in that Ferguson guy right now. That's cool. Uh, okay, Alex, as ever, uh, absolute gentleman, and it's been great. And thank you for an hour of your time when I know you're really busy with the coaching. And, uh, you know, hopefully a few guys will check you out for the coaching. And they, again, you know, let, let me know how it goes. Thanks, Barry. It was it was a pleasure. The pleasure's all mine. I really appreciate coming on your podcast. It's, it's a real honor to be in as esteemed of company as you've invited on this show. Cool. Well, you and Jared Tendler are the only guys that have been on twice now, so you're you're awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Okay, cheers, mate. Cheers.